I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 185. And today in the show, I'm joined by my good buddy, Josh Furter Hilliard. <laughs> I, knew, I knew I wasn't going to make it through what I'm trying to say is that today on the show, I'm joined by my good buddy, Josh Furter Hilliard, and he's sitting right next to me, which is why I'm having a hard time saying this, but we are discussing his successful Ohio rut hunt, the Quality Deer Management Association, the latest in my hunt for Holyfield, and our Northern Michigan Deer Camp. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear and... This is a little bit of a different episode. Uh, Dan Johnson's not with us, but I have another bearded uh, fill-in who's going to handle Dan's role today. I think my beard might give him a run for his money right now. Right now, yeah. (laughs) It's going pretty good. It is pretty good. Um, With me today, playing the role of Dan Johnson, is Josh Furter Hilliard. (laughs) And we had to give him a chance here because in last week's episode, as you guys heard, me and Dan were talking while Josh was sitting on the sidelines in the hotel listening to us talk smack about him. So we, I had to give you an opportunity now to actually be on the podcast and to actually, you know, speak your own mind now. Well, so I appreciate that. Yeah. So we got Josh here. Um, have we told the story of why I call you Furter on the podcast? I don't know. I don't think you have told it. Maybe once a long time ago. Well, you know what? We did. Because you were on the podcast a couple of years ago. And Dan asked if you had any, like, funny nicknames growing up. <laughs> because I told, you know, I told Dan that you and yep. me grew up together. Yep. He asked if he had any nicknames. And I said, yeah, we, we call him Furter. Um, <laughs> and it's pretty cool. This has really gotten some momentum across the hunting community. Now everybody does refer to you as Furter, which I'm so happy about. I'm going to be on, like, a one-name basis in the hunting community. Right. You're the equivalent of, like, Kobe. But <laughs> 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 you're Furter. Well, I think I told you this the other day. A guy Facebook friend me, and uh, I got a message from him. He's like, so how did you get the nickname Furter? Just like out of the <laughs> first thing. Well, for those that are new who aren't familiar with who Furter is, the, the short version of the story is that in high school, um, we got the idea that we should call Josh Furter because his dad's name is Frank. And we like his dad was just a funny guy, and we would see him a lot when we were hanging out. And um, 
Well, Josh was like a mini Frank, so he's a Frank Furter. So for sure, we just call him Furter. But we decided not to tell Josh why we were calling him Furter. So me and all my buddies for I don't know how long it was, maybe a year. It was we longer. Would, it was like not until it middle was to college, end of college right? when yeah. we finally told me. <laughs> <laughs> so for all that time, we called him Furter. And Josh would get pissed. He was like, why do so you guys mad. call me that? What does that mean? <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. So so that's where Furter comes from. Um, so It's yeah. kind of like anticlimactic, though, like. It doesn't really make, I don't know. Right, that's what makes it so good, in my opinion. Because you're right, it is not a clever, funny reason for the nickname, and that's why it's so good, because it's so stupid. So, Josh and me are right now sitting in a, it's about maybe 20 yards long by 10 yards wide um, cabin. We are up at my family deer camp in northern Michigan. And uh, right now it's just me and Josh. The rest of the crew hasn't got up here yet, so we figure this would be a good opportunity to record a podcast. Um, and we've got a cold beer in our hands. Mm-hmm. We just ate some venison stew after the evening hunt. Got the wood-burning stove piping hot here in between us. Um, a field stone kind of mantle piece above the stove. And then along the wall, this is a log cabin, and to our to my right side is this wall of all these racks from over the years that have been killed here. Um, and it's pretty cool. And we can talk about, about this more later. You can't leave out, like, the leather chairs. Yeah, we got the really old leather chairs. Um, and then a f- couple cots. And um, there's a mouse or two hanging around <laughs> right now that are pl- uh, giving us some company. Um, but but we're going to talk about deer camp um, here today, but uh, there's a lot more to talk about other than that. So we'll, we'll kind of end with a few thoughts on what we're doing here and why this place is kind of special to me. Um, but I want to hear a little bit more about what Furter does because he works in the, the hunting world these days and he's doing some pretty cool things. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that, Josh. Okay. Um, and then also, so last week on the podcast – when you were sitting listening to me and Dan talk, um, the very next day, I think, you had a very exciting day of hunting. I did. So I, I want to hear all about that because uh, Furter laid the smack down on a big Ohio <laughs> buck. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that. And then um, I'm going to do something that's going to piss off my buddy Dan, but I want to talk about Holyfield and my final week of hunting him since we talked last time. Um, apologies dan for for not letting you be a part of this but uh we have to talk about it so josh you're gonna have to play the dan role there and question me and badger me and, and tell me you, you, what okay if you were dan no matter what i do you will tell me well you should have rattled or you should have grunted <laughs> or did you try decoying um and then i'll say well this is michigan dan this yeah, isn't right. iowa <laughs> yeah, um i so, gotta put myself in like i'm hunting iowa yeah, geez, wouldn't that be nice? Next year, right? Next Maybe. year, hopefully. Um, so, that, yeah, that's the game plan. Um, let's talk about real quick what you're doing these days because you used to come on the podcast and you were just my friend who uh, was just, you know, this strange guy that walks around and you call Furter. Yep. Um, and you hunt with me. We share our property down in Ohio. Um, we've done a lot of hunting together. Mm-hmm. We went elk hunting together recently. We've deer hunted together for a long, long time. Um, but this year you actually got a little more involved in the hunting world. 
Talk did. to us about that. What are yeah, you doing I, these days? I got a lot more involved in it. Um, uh, in May, I started as a regional director um, with the Quality Deer Management Association um, covering Michigan, Indiana, and Western Ohio. Um, so I went from zero to 100 real quick. Yeah. You know, I, was, I was helping out with, with you and Wired to Hunt on the side a little bit mm-hmm. from my day job. And, um, you know, just an opportunity arose and, you know, everything worked out and it's, I've been having a lot of fun. It's been a, it's been a great, what, six months now I've been doing it. So wow. it's been, that's crazy. It's gone really fast. But, it's, it was so um, cool to see, like, because we talked about, you know, you had this passion to try to do something like this and we, we brainstormed different ideas and like you said, you start helping out with Wired to Hunt and I, I we've had, we've had so many long drives down to Ohio together. Yeah. Where you would talk about yep. like your frustrations with your old, you know, the things you were doing yep. and how you'd like to get more involved in something you yep. were passionate about, and to see it all come together, to see to see you um, take the the leap and put in the effort to to not just settle for something that just got you by, but to actually chase, you know, a a dream. To see you mm-hmm. do that was was really cool for me. Yeah, no, it's it's been it's been great, and you know. I've told a couple of people this. I'd I'd go to my old job. I mean, it was, it was a good place to work. It, you know, I've you would laugh and <laughs> you talk. There's a, there's a terrific YouTube video. I should find this oh, YouTube geez. video and uh, post it for everybody. For his old for his old job, they created one of these. Um, it was like a marketing video. It was like a market, like a, yeah, a career <laughs> kind of. And there's this great scene where where the camera had been going to different people at the organization, and they were saying why they liked it or whatever. And then it, the camera kind of follows down the hallway and then turns into an office and then there's josh sitting at his desk in like a suit and tie or something and he says i would recommend xyz company to all my friends <laughs> and i would it was a, it was a good place to work but it's just not what you know i just couldn't see myself doing that forever i'd i'd get to work and i'd i'd sit in the parking lot and i'd just be like oh yeah. i don't want to go in you know it was in it was in metro detroit so i was battling traffic every day down there from know where i lived like a 45 minute commute and i just think the whole way down there's like man this there's got to be more to life than this Mm -hmm. and um i just kept an eye out for different things and um met a couple of the guys from qdma um down at the ata show last year that i went out went uh to with you and Mm -hmm. lo and behold that's who i ended up interviewing with um a couple months later there and uh like i said it all kind of just worked out and feel very fortunate to be where I'm at right now and um so so what does a regional director of uh what does a regional director for the QDMA do and um tell me what yeah tell me about that and then for people like actual members or regular people mm-hmm. how would they interact with you um for those in your region especially yeah <clears throat> so so as a regional director my my main goal is to help um spread the mission of QDMA um, so by gaining new members, what is the mission um, of cutie man? I'm going to quiz you here. <laughs> <laughs> can you, can, I guess before, so yeah, let's take a step back before we get to what you do as a regional director, quality deer management association, one Oh one, just in case we've had a lot of people from the cutie man mm-hmm. on the show, but just in case they're not familiar, can you give me like your one minute spiel of here's at a high level, what the cutie man is about? Yeah. So, so kind of like the elevator, you know, the elevator speech, you know, so our goal is to ensure, um, our hunting heritage, um, conserving the white-tailed deer, um, through a scientific approach, um, through hunting based activities. Um, you know, the main goal 
is to uh, to to make sure we've got a balanced herd um, through sex ratios, age structure. Um, you know, we do a lot of research on the disease fronts. Um, so we're, we're conserving the white-tailed deer in our hunting heritage is our is our main goal. Cool. All right. So you guys are doing that. There's a whole bunch of different ways that. I know from my own experience with the organization that they are, you know, doing great things for white-tailed deer and white-tailed deer hunters. But, okay, now to you, regional director, what do you do? How do you help your people? Yeah, um, so a, a big a big chunk of my job is um, helping facilitate a lot of these, um, you know, fundraising events like banquets. Um, my my region, there's, there's about 30 branches, and I think last year um, between – the regional director who before me who retired and then when I took over I believe there's 18 or 19 banquets throughout the year that we we put on and that's that's one of the main goals or main functions of my job is to help facilitate these banquets um, raise money for the organization um, so we put a lot of, a, on a lot of those every year um, there's a lot of secondary events like educational events um, habitat days um, just different type of events that I will help a branch kind of organize um, anything that they need through the national office, they would go through me um, to get um, helping them market different events. Um, so working with all these volunteers that are out there trying to spread our mission at a grassroots level, um, I'm kind of their go-to to help them um, with whatever they need from the QDMA. So so there's, so there's the national QDMA organization, and mm-hmm. there's you know tens and tens of thousands of members, and then within different states, then there are these local kind of subgroups of, of the QDMA, right? And you yep. guys call them branches. Yep. And then each one of those branches has like local events yep. that you just talked about. They do different things to help deer hunters out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like you said, there's these habitat days. I've been to a number of these habitat days. Those are really cool educational events. Um, I know there's events where like they help take new new kids out hunting. Yep. There's mentor things. Yep, we've got our share your hunt program. Yep. Um, so a bunch of stuff like that going on, and then so like you said, then you are like the go-to person for all those branches to help make that happen. Right, and there, you know a lot of the behind-the-scenes things, like making sure we've got insurance for those um, events, and all our eyes are dotted and T's are crossed, um, raffle license, things like that. Kind of making sure we're kind of doing everything by the book, and and also we help facilitate. You know, we've got a a core like banquet package that we get through our um, sponsors and things like that from QDMA that, um, help raise money at the, um, the banquets. Um, so that's kind of a high level overview of, mm-hmm. of, of what I do. Well, and then you're taking those, those fundraising, the, the results of those fundraisers, I imagine are going back to, uh, you know, a lot of these different really cool events like what yep. you just did last night, opening mm-hmm. day in Michigan. Uh, one of your branches, sponsored and hosted a, a buck pole event right yep, yep. we had a, a buck pole the eaton county branch of, of qdma had a, a buck pole um in vermontville yesterday and that was a lot of fun we had like 32 deer that that came and got checked in and we pulled some jaw bones on uh on some of the deer and we filled out a lot of information um that we'll provide then to the michigan dnr um for for reporting reasons and and so they can have some data and then they'll also mail all those hunters their successful deer patches for for 2017 and um it was a a, a lot of fun there's a big turnout for a pretty crappy night of weather i mean it was Mm -hmm. rainy and cold miserable day um we had a great turnout and you know like you said 
um, at those fundraising events, a portion of that money goes to the national office to help um, the, the mission, spread the mission on a national level, and then also a portion of those funds stay with that local branch to help do um, community events that help drive our mission as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I can say from my own personal experience, um, the Q- QDMA is a national organization and the different things they do, the the work they do to make sure that good things are happening across the crunch happening across the country um, and the educational resources they put out. I mean, those things are amazing, Um, but at the local level, even there's so many cool things going on, like, you know, these different events Mm -hmm. we talked about, um, you know, bringing in really great people to come and share their experiences, talk about whether it be habitat improvement or hunting or management strategies, different things along those lines. Um, For someone you know, that maybe is a member or isn't, but has been looking for a way to just get more involved with like other deer hunters in their area or people that are, that care about white-tailed mm-hmm. deer and conservation. How does someone go about actually like getting involved with the branch, meeting other people like that? How do you get kind of synced into that? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, what, what do I get out of being out of, uh, what do I get out of being a QDMA member? And the answer is really, you know, you get out of it, whatever you want to put into it. If you want to be super involved, you can do that. If you just want to get the magazine and read some great articles, you can do that. Um, you know, if someone wants to get involved, they can they can go to our website and they have we have a list of all the different branches in their state. Um, they can click on the state and it pops up the list. Um, so you can reach directly out to the the contact listed for that branch, which is typically the president. Um, you can also reach out to me and let me know where you live, and I can let you know the closest branch to you. Um, and get you involved that way, and get you connected. Um, I've had I've had leadership. past I've had past guests that have given their cell phone numbers in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Are you willing to take that risk? Sure. Josh? Yeah, I mean it's all out Are you there. Serious? Yeah, I don't care. Man. It's all on the website. Well, but you're welcome to give it now, or you can just send it to the website. <laughs> you, you go to the website. My email address is there. My phone number is there. Um, contact me anytime. Um, I can get you hooked up with where you need to go. Um, we're always looking for volunteers to help out. Um, uh, at a branch level, and we, we've got some amazing volunteers. There's just a lot of people that have poured their, you know, their life into helping um, QDMA and the white-tailed deer, and it, it's it's really cool to go around to these different branches and just see how passionate these volunteers are about, um, you know, the organization and and hunting and making sure that, you know hunting and the white-tailed deer are going to be there for their kids and their kids and their yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, it's really cool to see. I mean, it's branch to branch. I mean, they're all just diehards. Um, well, speaking of that, you know, I, I get lots of, I don't want to say lots, but I've get a decent number of emails or messages, um, from people who are like, Hey, love the podcast, love what we're doing, blah, blah. I live in Michigan or I live in this town or that town. Um, I don't have many like hunting buddies. Mm-hmm. Do you want to get a beer sometime or do you want to get whatever coffee sometime yeah. or whatever? And I, unfortunately I just simply can't, you know, get beers with all these different people. But if you're looking to meet more hunters, like if you live in an area and you don't have some hunting buddies nearby or you're, you're new to a spot and you want to meet some people, I can't think of a better way to instantly get plugged in to a great local deer hunting community than find out about your local QDMA branch yeah get involved and then bam you've just now got a whole bunch of diehard new deer hunting buddies right there um i mean that is from from a purely selfish standpoint if you just want some hunting buddies nearby get involved that way you know yeah for sure and and 
all these all these branches of the majority of them have Facebook pages. I mean, you can get on and search them on Facebook, and they've got a list of their events coming up, like uh, the Northwest Michigan branch. Since we're kind of up in the up this way, mm-hmm. um, they've got a, a aging and scoring night coming up. I think it's December fourteenth. Um, so that's a great bring, you, even if you don't have a deer, go and hang out and, you know, meet people. Um, you know, we're looking to grow co-ops if you own land or if you're a landowner, um, and you want to start practicing QDM, QDM on your property, but you think, oh, um, you know, my neighbor shoots all the young bucks, go talk to them. You know, maybe you might, you might find out that they've got similar aspirations that you do. But they think you're shooting all yeah, the year yeah, and a half old That's bucks. how it goes last time. So, you know, co-ops is a great way to meet people and meet your neighbors and, and get on the same page with people. Getting involved in a branch is a great way to meet other hunters and like-minded people and go have fun at events with them. Um, getting involved at a in, in a leadership capacity in a branch is a great way. Or if you don't have a branch around you, start one. You know, it's it's, it's a great way to meet people, and I've met a ton of great people in uh, my short time here. That's so. awesome. Well, I um I have been fortunate to be able to, you know, participate in a number of those different events and things and while I haven't been able to take a leadership position, uh we've got a couple buddies of ours that uh Coco we're talking yeah. talking about you. I'm working on them. We need to we need these guys to step up. So, yeah. um speaking of Coco, um We'll, we'll use his code name. Okay. <laughs> Our buddy, code name Coco. Um, he was hunting in Ohio with me and Ferder. And um, <laughs> so we were in Ohio last week. That was where we recorded the last episode. And um, I think, well, we never talked about your hunt. So let's go back to Ohio. But before we get to that, let's take a quick break for our Sitka story. And here's Spencer Newharth. For this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Sitka Ambassador Chad Stearns, who tells us about a memorable whitetail hunt in Michigan where he wasn't even behind the trigger. Okay, last fall, um, I was hunting a buck that we had deemed the name Dozer, a three-year-old buck in central Michigan. And I I had been after him for a couple years, uh, just a unique rack, and it was interesting. My son was the one who actually uh, gave him his nickname. So I'd had a couple long-distance encounters during archery season, been trying to hunt some primary scrape areas and could never seem to connect. And one evening, late in our, our Michigan rifle season here, my son was with me running the video camera. And we had kind of changed tactics, started hunting some food sources, hoping the uh, the deer would come out. And he appeared at about 250 yards following a doe out into a uh, picked cornfield. So, you know, between he and I trying to coordinate our efforts and, and get him on video and, and finally got an open shot, we were able to take this deer. And it was special to me because uh, I've spent a lot of time trying to guide my son, and a lot of my time recently has been taking him. So to share that moment, a buck we'd been after had countless trail camera pictures uh, was really kind of special to share that with him. I think he was more excited than I was. So, you know, anytime you can take kids out and introduce them to the outdoors and have some success, that's just ultra special to me. So that one stands out to me as a sick moment. On Chad's hunt, he was wearing Sitka's fanatic system. If you'd like to create a Sitka story of your own or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel, visit sitkagear.com. 
So let's go back to Ohio. You got down to Ohio a day or two before I did because um, mm-hmm. I was still chasing Holyfield, and I kept pushing my Ohio trip back because I wanted to try to kill him. Um, so you got down there, like I said, a day or two beforehand. Yeah. Talk to me. Let's walk through your Ohio hunt. You got there. First day was pretty boring, right? Yeah, I got to think about this for a second. First day, where did I set my first day? I, you I set think, the grassy field yeah, stand, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. I don't think I saw a thing. I didn't yeah. see a thing that night. But I got down there just for the afternoon hunt. Um, and this this stand has been all right. It's never been great. I don't think we've ever – I don't think either anything. one of us has killed anything out of that stand. But the weekend before, yep. let's, let's mention this, because I think I talked about it a little bit with Dan, but the weekend before I hunted that stand – I went down for two days, and a really nice buck came by, and I passed on him um, because it was still early, and I had decided this year, you know, I talked kind of jokingly. I had said booner or bust this year in Ohio um, because our friend Coco said that he he wanted to challenge me to shoot a booner by the time I was 30 because that's when he shot his booner. Um, It's obviously not going to happen because I'm probably not going to shoot anything this year. (laughs) But I thought, you know, I'll try to be a little bit more picky this year. Um, So I passed that buck. Then you you hunted again, didn't see anything there. Um, But let's back up again, because when you sent a picture to the group text, like, oh, I just passed this one. Oh, yeah. I said, if I see that buck, he's not going to pass. Yeah, (laughs) Maybe a little foreshadowing there. Yes. And I said, absolutely right. You should shoot that buck if you see him. (laughs) Because um, I don't want you to shoot the booner. Because yeah, I'm not on the booner <laughs> or bus train. Uh, okay, so day one, boring. Yep, day boring. two, you said day, t- day two. I came right. Yep. Day two, you got there. Well, you got there late that night. Late. What was that? Tuesday night. You got in. I don't know, but okay. Yeah. Basically, let, let's fast forward to your next exciting hunt. So that would have been Wednesday afternoon okay the morning was slow um and then i don't even think i saw anything that morning maybe like one or two does filtered through mm-hmm. um then the afternoon came and it was getting close to dark and i turned behind me and looked up on the ridge and there's a nice buck coming right down towards me and you were hunting the stand that i killed yep. glenn from yep three two or three years ago now yep. that Really nice buck that we were chasing for a few years. That was the second or third year we were hunting him. Third year, third we were year, him. I killed yeah. him. Yeah. Um, so that stand has a little history to yep. it. Yep. So you you're sitting there and you see a nice buck coming down the hill. See it coming down the hill. It's coming right to me. So I'm scrambling. I grab my bow, try to get my camera turned back around there, and turn back around. He's still coming. He's still coming. And you spotted pretty far away, right? Yeah, he's pretty far away. He's a couple hundred yards away, but I had like a like a perfect lane that I can see all the way to the back corner of our property. Um, and he, it's just, it's almost like a, a perfect like clear cut right through there where I can see up to the top of this ridge. And he's just coming on a string right to me. I don't know what's worse. When you see a buck and he's like right there on top of you, like you just turn and there's a buck at 20 yards. Or like, and when I say worse, I mean like how you get overexcited. Right. right. When he's just right there and then all of a sudden, bam, you got to go. Or you don't when have you any see time him, to think about it. Yeah. Or you see him 400 yards away and you, excuse me, you watch him come for yeah. 10 minutes and you're like, oh my gosh, he's actually gonna coming. Gonna this is actually going to happen. Yeah. Like yeah. that can be, did you get pretty amped? Yeah, I, did. I got pretty amped. 
Because this is like the first good buck I've seen all year. Right. Because you've been hunting a I've bunch, been of, public hunting land a bunch of public land in Michigan that's pretty heavily pressured. And I've seen a handful of year and a half olds, but I haven't seen anything that's really been like, oh, man, here we so, go. So describe this buck coming your way as he, or what you see at least as he's coming. Yeah, so I see him, and I, you know, I immediately identified that he was a shooter and you know, big body. And he starts getting a little closer to me. I go, man, that looks a lot like the buck that Mark passed. Mm-hmm. And I put my binos up on him one more time. I go, that is. I saw the big curved. He's got this big, tine. like, bladed kind of tall yeah. brow tine on what, yeah. his left side? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's left side. Deer left. Yep. 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 And so he's coming to me, and he's coming, drops down in this little creek, and he's comes right back up. And all of a sudden, he's, like, on me like that. I mean, it felt like forever, but then he was, boom, he's right there. <laughs> and he gets to this point, and he's behind some thick stuff, a couple trees and some branches and a couple bushes, and he's, like, 20 yards. And But he's right on the he's right on the property line. And... He, Were you clipped on at this oh yeah, point? Yeah, I was ready to go. I had the camera aimed where I wanted him to go to because uh-huh. um, I was self-filming myself. and um, He just needed to take a right or keep going straight, and I had a shot at him. But he jumps the fence into the neighbors, and I grunted at him, and he just didn't want anything to do with it. He just dropped into the drainage again. I, I never saw him come out of there. So I was, I was bummed. I go, oh, the one spot he couldn't go, he went. Mm-hmm. It just seems pretty typical how that usually goes. So I was, yeah. you know, really excited, and then I go, all right, that that sucks. That's a good, a good um, rush, though, I bet. Yeah, it was. A... It was. And, and that was pretty much, uh, we had maybe a little bit of daylight left, so I'd, I hope that he'd come back out, but um didn't happen that night. Yeah. And I don't think I saw anything. I saw a few does that night and not any bucks. Yeah. Um, so that was that night. We went back to our hotel. Let's talk about our hotel real quick here. <laughs> um, <laughs> we uh, we usually stay. So we are cheap, and we are like dirt bags. And so when we start hunting down in Ohio, I don't know. I've been hunting in Ohio for, I don't know, seven years now or something like that. Because um, I started hunting down there a year or two yeah. before you did. Yep. Um, me and Coco did. Um, so when we started going to this area, the first thing we do is find the very cheapest hotel we can possibly find. And it happens to be on the outskirts of a, of a somewhat large city. And for, unfortunately, that is the closest hotel we can get to where we hunt. It's like a 40-minute drive. Yeah, it's like 36 to 40 minutes, yeah. um, depending on who's driving. Um, I'll say that I take I get there in 36. Um, <laughs> um, you don't want – no, you're the you're, – I used to you're be much the, more I of used a grandma driver than driver. I, am. I yeah. used to be the grandma driver. Um, I've come a long way, I'd like to think. Uh, but so we, we found the very cheapest hotel and at the time we were like 24 when we started hunting there or something. Um, and I mean, it's, it's pretty rough. It's the kind of spot that before I ever open up the door, I always peek out the window and like, look and just see, is there anyone out here? Could I get jumped? Um, like there's weird things going on a lot of the time. Like was it last year or two years ago? So like in the middle of the night, there's like, (laughs) I don't even remember what he was saying, but there's a guy like standing outside our room just screaming. Well, that happened crazy things that, when you were and you were down there by yourself that night, right? And the I first got there time. the next night. Yeah, the first night was by myself, and there's someone outside my door, like, like, like Tourette's, but maybe on drugs or drunk or something going on. Probably the latter. Yeah, um, or and just both. yelling like cuss words and like screaming. And I woke up and like, God, is this guy coming to my room? 
Um, he didn't, but then he did it the next night when you were there, I think. Yeah. Um, so like that kind of stuff happened. Or even this year we went there. I went there. I guess this was by myself. And I went up to the front desk, and I had to wait like 15 minutes before the receptionist came to the desk. Um, and like there was a group of like six people all waiting. Like there's no one here. I was calling. No one's showing up. The guy comes in. He's like, "Oh yeah, there was a 911 call back <laughs> on the back block." <laughs> so you know, it's just like stuff's always happening. It's pretty sketchy. It's a little sketchy. Um, now our buddy Coco, code name Coco, um, went there last year that he had his incident that made his yes. wife. So last yes. year he went and he got into his room and he found bed bugs yep. in his room and um and then he had to request another room and didn't the next room he went to have bed bugs too or something yeah something like that and then so they went to a different hotel so then this year we're all going down there for vacation and coco's wife said hey you're not going to the the dunghole motel you got to go somewhere better now i don't want you bringing bed bugs home so cory finds an <laughs> we, we really <laughs> went up a, a lot of notches yeah, here. Yeah, so so Coco goes to this other hotel, and um, he gets in there, he gets a room, and so but now he's paranoid about bed bugs. So he checks the room, checks underneath the bed, and doesn't he find bed bugs in that yes. the first room? So he finds bed bugs in the first one there. <laughs> so he goes back to the front desk, and they give him a new room. He goes into that room, and it smells like cigarette yeah, smoke. Yeah, and there's like ashes on the ground yeah. and stuff like that. And like that. you have to sign like a $200 waiver like that you will not smoke in these rooms. And if you don't or if you do smoke in them you got to pay 200 bucks. So now he re- well someone smoked in here. So he has to go back to the desk. Tells the guy, "Hey, someone's been smoking in here. I need a different room." They put him in another room. He goes in there, checks the bed. There's not bed bugs, but there's I guess like the sign of past bed bugs, like dark yeah, spots all there. over or something. Somehow he ended up on <laughs> four different rooms. <laughs> yeah, so we he finally did get a different room that was bed bug free, smoke free, signs of bed yeah. bug free. Um and so now we're at the new place. And um the next day now I got there and we're like, you know what, we are we are thirty years yeah. old. Like yeah. we have real adult jobs now. Maybe we don't need yeah. to be at the dingiest worst hotel well, in the city. It's not like we moved that <laughs> far. We, this this hotel is like five dollars more a night, or like ten dollars more right. a night. And so I was it's not like a big upgrade here, right? But it was a little bit nicer. We were wringing our hands about the money. We're like, oh man, I don't know. Should we really yeah. spend this much more? <laughs> but you know, I'm happy we did it. I think yeah, it's a little it was, better. I'm really happy we did. I I think I changed my luck down there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so back to that. Enough about the hotel. Um, so you had that really close call. We go back to the hotel room. It was pizza night. We had our Marcos pizza yep. and we watched Bucks on DVD. Um. And I record a podcast. I listen to you record. You a listen podcast. to us record the podcast and talk about you. And uh, next day, I headed to um, this stand at the very back of the property, up on this ridge. And How many times have we hunted that one? This Maybe is only one the, other time. I've only I've hunted it one other time, and you've never. I've hunted, never right? hunted it. So it's only been hunted twice ever in the history of us hunting this property, and this is like our fifth year hunting. I don't property. think I could find it in the dark. To be honest with you. <laughs> no, you do not have that sense of navigation. Yeah, no. One time, Josh got <laughs> lost on a ten-acre property, and he thought he would be. <laughs> do we have to go here? <laughs> he thought <laughs> he thought he'd be smart by putting up that orange surveyor's tape. As he went along to like map his route, yeah, I was gonna just mark it for the way in in the morning <laughs> on my way out. I'd be, I'd be perfect be for able, the morning. I'll follow the flags in. Well, he got lost, 
and yeah. he was only you know like it's a ten acre property, and then his his uh, his family in laws, his in laws yeah. cabin, little cottage is there, and um, so he got lost. He finally finds his way out of there after. How did you find your way? Did you just, like walk up to the wrong house eventually? I like ended up at some like little cabin like on the the <laughs> other way. I don't know what I was doing. This is this is a this is a while ago. Like six months ago. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then the next day he takes his wife out or your girlfriend uh, at the time maybe. Yeah. And then she sees why is there this big circle of orange <laughs> flags? Went in a big circle. <laughs> so I don't think I'll ever live that one down from her. She she still gives me crap about that. So so yeah, you're right. You could not make yeah. it to the back yeah. stand. <laughs> okay, so I'm on the back ridge and you were on the main ridge stand. Yep. Right? My favorite stand. Yeah, because, what, four years ago, you killed a really nice buck there. It was to the day. I mean, that morning, I sent you, like, a, you know, I get those, like, right Facebook, the, like, time Facebook hop memory. or whatever. Then, mm-hmm. yeah. And it was the buck I shot four years ago from that stand on the same day. Mm-hmm. I, was, I sent that to you that morning. Yeah, hey, November. Hopefully a repeat. Yeah, right, because November 10th, is that right? Uh, 9th. 9th, okay. Yeah. Um, So, let me let me tell about my start yeah. in the morning. Um, because I'm sitting in this back stand and I've been watching some does filter through down the bottom. I'm kind of up on a high ridge and then there's a pasture, a high pasture behind me. And then there's a low valley where there's another sort of pasture there. And, um, I've been seeing a good number of does moving through. Um, we don't see many deer on this property. I've I've talked about this in the past. It's, uh, it's a property that's kind of frustrating to hunt a lot of the times because you'll, you'll hunt for days and days and you won't see more than like a doe a day or two deer a day or something. But if you are willing to put in enough time, and if you are in the right spot and get a little bit lucky, you know, the one deer you do see could be a really nice mature buck. So I'm sitting in the back ridge, and um, I've been seeing this deer, and then I hear a little crash to my left. And I turn my head, and I see a big buck coming like he's like 15 yards away. Like, oh, my gosh. And I'm seated. I'm not prepared. And I've immediately flashed to... What happened to me with Holyfield, like, two days beforehand, where Holyfield surprised me, and then he spooked. So I'm like, oh, my God, this is not happening to me again. I wasn't even messing around on my phone. I think I was just looking the other direction. But he had come over a little rise, and he dropped over the rise, and then once he gets over that rise, within sight of me, he's, like, 25, 30 yards away or whatever. And he was, like, coming on a trot right at me. And I'm stuck, seated in this tree. And what I realized is that this tree, we 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 didn't have a whole lot of great tree options on there, but this tree did not have very much cover. So we were high in the tree. It, it's a pretty high tree stand, um, but there's not much for cover. Um, so I was like, oh, God, he's going to spot me up here. I'm going to get busted, um, and a big shooter is going to get away. Um, but So I just stayed froze. Usually in this tree, I would have thought to try to stand up. If I saw a big buck coming, I'd try to stand up, so I would just seem to blend in a little more. I'd be tight to that tree. Um, but I knew I I couldn't move at all. But then I look at this deer a little more. I'm like, oh, I know that deer. That's the deer that I passed last week. Uh, really nice buck. He's coming. But now I'm a little bit less nerd. Like, I'm not as stressed because I didn't shoot him last weekend. I'm not going to shoot him this weekend. But he comes in, and he walks right to, like, 10 yards. And then he like, kind of looks around. I'm like, he's going to spot me any second. He's going to spot me any second. He's going to spot me any second. But he didn't. And he walked by, and I'm looking at him like, oh, man. Like, he looks a lot, he looks nice, and he's right here, I could shoot him, and I came, like, I was like, grab my bow, don't grab my bow, grab my bow, don't grab my bow, grab my bow, don't grab my bow, he's, I mean, he's he's wide, he's got nice tine length, he's got that mega brow tine on the one side, good solid body, um, 
and just beautiful. I mean, I got really cool footage of him, awesome encounter. But I was like, no, I mean, you passed him once, you know, just stick with your gut. Um, you made the right decision. I made the right decision because he, he bounced off and he went down the hill. And I was like, man, that was a cool encounter. Um, and uh, so so that happened. He disappeared. He went down that valley and um, he went up the other side because there were some noises on that other side. Um, now, those does I've been watching had been down that valley and then they went to the creek and they followed the creek across the way. And then they went up to the opposite ridge from me, which is the ridge that Josh was sitting on. And these does went up that ridge, and I'd watch them go up that ridge and go past Josh. So I knew what those does had done. So now that buck goes that direction down towards that uh, valley. I'm like, hmm, if he goes down, if he makes it to that creek, I wonder if he'll hit that trail of all those does. I wonder if he'll go up that way. So I'm watching for him, but he had disappeared. Now fast forward like five minutes, ten minutes, and all of a sudden I spot that buck again. Um, but now he's at the Creek and then a few seconds later, he's on the Ridge and I'm like, Holy crap, he's going to go right up towards Josh. And like before I'm like seeing this in my binoculars and I'm like, okay, he's going to go up the Ridge. Now he's on the Ridge. And I'm like, Oh man, he's like right there by Josh. And I'm watching all this unfolding. And in my head, I'm just like, it's like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like this is actually happening. Tell me what happens from there, from your perspective. Yeah. So those those does that you saw come up the ridge, I saw them. They so this this ridge is it's basically a ridge that runs out into it's like a finger into the uh, cornfield. Mm-hmm. Corn is still standing down here, and this this ridge has like a grassy top, and it's like a shape of a funnel. So there's like a big scrape down at one end that we've got a camera on, and then it kind of just funnels down to the edge of this or to the end of this finger. Mm-hmm. And so those does, and I think there's a spike, I think there's a little spike horn with them. Um, they kind of cut across the top of that ridge down into this ditch and up into the corn at the, the far end um, of that funnel. Um, I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, and I had a couple does that had come down all the way past me that I could have had a shot at mm-hmm. them. Um, so I, I had a couple of does that had worked through the couple, couple different doe groups. So that buck, I see him come up, get to the top of the ridge, and he's, he's right there. He's on that same trail that those does were on. And he came a little bit farther down that ridge, but not quite close enough for me to get a shot. And he dropped down into that ditch. And I was like, son of a, he's doing the same thing that he did the night before. He's not going to give me a shot. So I grunted at him again. And this time I, I saw him stop. He kind of turned his head and he looked back at the corn. And I grunted again. He did the old circle and comes right back around. I go, oh, here we go. <laughs> and he came back up out of this ditch, and he was right on the edge about about 30 yards, and he just needed to take a couple steps, and he he got there, and then he, he stopped. He Like, on the footage you can see, like, he knew yeah. something was it's, up. I wonder what – because your wind wasn't blowing there, no, right? No, no. So it couldn't have been your wind, but it's something not my wind. like – Well, the, and we the, way wa- the, the way the sun was – Oh. My shadow and the shadow. tree shadows were going right to him, so I don't know if he caught my shadow when I when I drew my bow back. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what it was, but there was something. I mean, you can you can see in the footage, he was walking he, all normal, and then it's like he hit a wall. He hit something and just like boom. Yeah, and he just like held one leg up and then put it down. Kind of looking, he never looked up at me, but he kind of oh. looked over, and I wanted him to take another step or two to have more because he was a little quartering to me, just a hair. Um, I would have liked to take another step or two. I could have had a you know, perfect broadside shot, but 
I didn't think he was gonna I wasn't gonna take that chance I thought he was gonna bolt so I had it settled in right behind his shoulder and touched it off he was right at 30 yards and you know it hit it hit good sounded good but man I didn't think I got much penetration and he turned around and um I could see blood coming out the other side though so I was like all right that was a good hit and um he he died within 50 yards where I shot him yeah I mean he never made it off the top of that ridge I mean it was quick within seconds yeah and what's cool is that when I I watched the entire thing happen to my binoculars so even though I was like you know hundreds of yards away because all the leaves were down at the trees I could watch this ridge so I just had my binos up and I saw him on the ridge I'm like oh my gosh he's gonna be within range of Josh any second and then he disappeared and that must have been when he dropped into that ditch. Yep. And then I'm like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Like, I so badly wanted to see you get a shot at him. So I'm like panicking. I'm like, how did I miss him? Like, how did I lose him? And then I'm looking, looking, looking. And I'm like, okay, this one little spot where I thought I was seeing him and he just had blended in with a tree, maybe he's somewhere different now. So then I made, started making like long pans with my binoculars farther down. And I made a longer pan to the left. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, there he is. And he's like right next to your stand then. Yeah. And that I got to see the shot. Like I actually saw, I I saw him get hit and run and go down. I mean, that was so cool. It happened actually. really quick. Yeah, really fast. So between the time where I first saw him and the time he presented a shot to the time he died, it was yeah, quick. Walk so, me through your mental state. Man, it'd been the last time I killed a buck was four years ago in that same stand. So I mean, mm-hmm. it had been a while and hunted you know pretty hard the last several years trying to. You know, I had a couple opportunities that slipped through my fingers. Um, but, man, it just felt it felt good to kind of get that confidence back. I was like, all right, I can do this. Um, and uh, made a good shot. It was really great to see him go down, not having that worry of, oh, yeah. did I hit him bad? Did yeah. I hit him back? Did I hit him forward? Um, so just a, a, a kind of a huge um, confidence booster just to kind of remind myself that I – know what i'm doing yeah and, and I, I could use one done. of those i could use one of those right now <laughs> yeah 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 so i know that feeling god there's no better feeling yeah yeah oh that was awesome and then you gave me the phone call got, and we got to got celebrate and i was like dude i saw it i saw yeah. it happen that was so awesome uh, like, all right i'm gonna pack you know hunt a little bit longer just you know and then I called you, I think, like a half hour later. Yeah, like, I was like, all right, let's go. Like you, you, told, you told me, all right, hunt till 11, and then we'll get down. And yeah. then, like, 1030, you're like, do you want to get down now? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, let's just <laughs> well, go. Well, because I could see him. I could. I was just looking yeah, at him stuck from my tree stands. Me. Like, all right, I'm, I can't yeah. take it anymore. So that was that was awesome. It was yep. it was so cool it to be a awesome, part of yeah. that and yeah. get to have see that all happen. And, and it happened, you know, it was second day, well, third third day down there. Mm-hmm. It happens. That was, quick. That usually doesn't happen like that. It's usually no. at the... No, it doesn't. Tail end of our trip or doesn't happen at all for me. Yeah. So it was nice to And he's a nice, a nice, nice buck. Yeah. Yeah. If we pulled he's his, cool we got him back to the, back to the truck and I pulled his jawbone on him and he was three and a half, nice three and a half year old. And, mm-hmm. um, that was my goal coming into the years. Try to, try to kill a three and a half year old, no matter where I was, either Michigan or Ohio. Um, so I was, I was very happy with that. Yeah. I should be awesome buck. So now the pressure's on me. Yep, um, pressure's on. Last time you killed a buck down there was the last time I didn't kill a buck down yep. there. So I hope that's not what happens. We need a year where we both, both kill. Yeah. We haven't done um, that yet. No, we haven't. And it's kind of, I've kind of screwed myself because I've not hunted down there at all, hardly at this year because I've been so focused on Holyfield. So I've missed, you know, all most of the best times of the rut. But, uh, 
going to try to get some maybe a little couple days in late November. I'm going to have to squeeze in like little yeah. two-day trips. And then if that doesn't work out, then late season. But Well, uh, we've seen I mean, we've seen deer down there in late season. We've had opportunities yeah. at at nice mature bucks in the late season down there. I mean, yeah. you had you've had a couple opportunities. There's a buck that we were chasing, but JJ that I had a chance oh, at yeah, in late you saw season. JJ down there, muzzle yeah. loader down there. And I yeah, I saw Jawbreaker and Glenn both in late November one year and saw Glenn the next year um, in January, like the last yeah. day of the season. Or no, well, that wouldn't be the last day of Ohio season, last day of Michigan season. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they yep. definitely still move. And I think this year we've got corn on that property. Yep. Um, that'll help us a little bit because there should be more late season food there. So the dream is still alive for me, but, man, I was so stoked that you got done. Yeah. And, um, it feels good to be tagged out. Yeah, that's Ohio. that's a good feeling. Because I have not had that feeling in four years, years down there. Yeah. So, so you've tagged out. We yeah. celebrated that night, and then we got to talk about, okay, well, what are we going to do next? And then I, in my head, I was ruminating on what I should be doing. Like, you know, I decided I wanted to go down to Ohio because, you know, we, we had planned on going down to Ohio, and you were going to be down there. Coco was going to be down there. Um, and that's just, like, fun, the, right. the camaraderie aspect of it. And of course, like the best chance to get a buck down there is during those, like that first two weeks of November. Um, so I wanted to get down there, but like I mentioned earlier, I've been pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. Cause I was trying to kill Holyfield. But then the cell phone incident happened with Holyfield and I was frustrated and I'd been hunting that property really hard. I'd hunted it like 10 days in a row or something. Um, and I was like, just stressing so much about everything going on. I finally was like, you know what? I need to just kind of clear my head a little bit. I need to step away from this Holyfield thing for a couple of days and, you know, enjoy a little bit of time with my friends down there, um, hunt there a little bit, you know, just have fun for right. a couple of days. Um, in the end, that's what it's all about. I mean, yeah. Having fun. Exactly. So. so I cannot tell you how happy I am that I did that either. Like it was such a good decision. Um, and who knows, maybe I would have killed Holyfield if I'd stayed home those two days, but Probably not, and I uh, I don't care because it was it was so cool to be there for that experience with you. He probably would have been right in front of you when I called you to tell you I shot a buck down in Ohio. And <laughs> yeah, something like that would have happened. So, but after you killed, now I knew. All right, you killed. Coco already went home because I don't remember why he went home, but he went home early. Um, so that was well. Do I want to keep hunting Ohio, or you know, or should I go back and chase Holyfield? So I was thinking that in my head. And then, like, we're sitting there, and you're like, so do you want to go hunt Holyfield now? I'm like, well, maybe I should. Yeah. So we decided that, yeah, I should. Well, and, you know, historically, well, the last three years anyway, you had shot deer down there first. Mm-hmm. And the next day or two after that has been kind of dead. Um, right. From after tracking dragging around. Dragging and tracking and all that stuff. So, um, and it was supposed to be cold at home, like, record lows or yes. something yes we had a big cold front hit at home it was gonna be really cold we'd mucked up the ohio property yeah. walking all over the place right through the core area yeah. to get your deer out so i decided yeah time to go home so i drove home that morning the next sorry the next morning yeah. drove home got home in time for the evening hunt so now i want to talk about the next five days the final days of the michigan bow season but before we do that let's take a quick break for a word from our partners at whitetail properties this week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Steve Purviance, a land specialist out of northwestern Oklahoma. 
and Steve is going to be telling us about what steps to take once you've decided to sell a piece of land. First, they need to come up with an idea of um, exactly what category it falls in. You know, a lot of the um, the sellers seems to be um, that I get really, I would say a good half of them anyway, come from out of state, maybe um, heirs to property that uh, they really don't have a lot to do with. They're not on a lot. Um, you know, maybe they have got it in a, you know, in a will and, um, they really need to know a little about it. You know, of course, once they call me, I can look, I can do some research on the computer on aerial photos. And then of course, go out and look at it. But, uh, they, they really need to know what it is. I mean, is it ag ground? Is it, um, good grass? That's really just going to cater to, to, um, you know, local ranchers, or is it going to be a recreational piece with good hunting, potentially fishing that, um, would cater to a big, wide you know scale of people you know out of staters non-residents people looking for um for property to uh enjoy and invest in so uh that's that's one of the first things they need to do and then they need to find an agent um somebody local that um, really specializes in that you know of course we specialize in recreational land hunting um we can sell any of it and do you know every month but um we we actually specialize in the hunting land um, but that's that. That would be the first steps um, to coming up with an idea of really what they've got to begin with. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Steve currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash purviance. That's P-U-R-B-I-A-N-C-E. So now I want to talk about the next five days, the final days of the Michigan Bow season. And this is where I need to play Dan now? Yeah, now you're going to play Dan. So what Dan Dan usually does is he'll say, I I, I got a question. I got a question. He'll say that. um, Or he'll say he'll he'll recommend doing Iowa tactics in Michigan. Okay, all right. Um, What else would he do? He'd um, he'd throw in a curse word or two. I'll try to keep it clean. Yeah, you, you can keep, keep clean if you want. Um, or he'd talk about his kids. <laughs> I don't have any don't kids. kids. Huh? You get a dog who a dog. who ate a whole a whole corn I, cob I think or he something. Ate a part of a corn cob today. <laughs> so, He's not the brightest. No, that's probably something one of Dan's kids would do too. So <laughs> I think I think Mac would do that. <laughs> so all right, so now you know your role. Okay, play right, your part. Okay. Um, all right, so we're back in Michigan. I get back in time for the evening hunt. And one of the things me and Dan had discussed on last week's podcast was the fact that I felt like I've been doing like the same things for Holyfield over and over to a degree. And again, it, we, and I apologize that I've been telling this story for years and years. You you all have heard it so many times, so um, I'll try not to repeat things too much. But I'm pretty limited on this property because of the fact that 90% of it is like just the edge of a field. And then all the good cover is on the neighbors that he typically is that where I see him. It's on this neighboring property. And then I just hunt the edges hoping it's going to come out. Um, but that hasn't been working. I've been seeing him, but who cares if you can see him if you can't shoot him? At this point, I don't want to get any video footage of him anymore. I don't want to get pictures of him anymore. I want to get an arrow in him. So I decided that these final four and a half days of the season or five days or whatever it was, I'm just going to do different things. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do things I haven't done in the past. Um, and maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe that'll throw him off because maybe he kind of has got me pegged a little bit. Maybe he does know that I've been hunting in from some of these same locations, um, more so than not. So that first night I, um, I had this idea that maybe I could hunt, um, the South side of this property because a few nights beforehand when I'd hunted there last, 
I had seen him coming towards the food plot, and I thought he was going to come into my food plot stand, but instead of coming in, like 40 yards before coming in, he turned, paralleled it, and then walked straight south back behind me through this little tiny chunk of timber and then into this south cornfield. And I don't know what he did after that point, but with that wind direction, what he could have been doing is he could have went down and then circled downwind of me, downwind of that food plot. So I, I hypothesized that maybe he was you know, entering that way and checking to see if I was in there. So is he going into the south cornfield more times than I'm realizing and going down there and, and, and seeing if there's someone hunting him? So I thought, I don't know. I've never hunted down there on that south side of the cornfield because it's it just like that little, this this knob of timber is wide open timber. It's up towards the road. Um, I'd never see mature bucks in there, so I never hunt the cornfield there. I always hunt farther back in the property. Um but I'm like, well, well, might as well just try. So I grab a tree stand and um, hang a new tree stand there. And it's um, it's downwind of my food plot, downwind of this timber that's downwind of the food plot. Um, long story short, hang the stand, hunt it, see a lot of does come out. At last light, Holyfield shows up with a doe, and they step out of the step out of the timber. And it's just a little finger of timber. It's like a like a 10, 15 yard wide strip of timber really they stepped out of. Um, but they were about a hundred yards down from me and they stepped out and they were just feeding. Um, and it's like really close to last light. Now I'm like, Oh man, if they, if they follow the edge down, they're heading my direction. So I said, if they keep following the edge down, they're going to come right by me. But instead of staying close to the edge, they went out about 60 yards into the field and then came down maybe 60, 70 yards. So, the final five minutes of shooting light or whatever it was pass and they come walking all the way past me right in front of me, but at like 65, 70 yards. Um, and at the, by the time they got there, it was too dark to shoot anyway. So, um, so I saw him, I saw where he came out, um, and had another close call. That was exciting to see that what I thought might happen. It kind of did happen. It, he, he wasn't scent checking it. Like I thought maybe he would, um, he was with a doe. Um, coming out and she was just come, come out to feed, but it still kind of panned out. And it told me that, Hey, maybe he does use this Southern portion more than I thought. Um, cause in the evenings I had only ever seen him during the evenings in the past couple of years up at the front, fr- the front and North part of the property. So that was, um, that was that first day. I'm trying to remember what I did the next morning. Um, shoot. What did I do the next morning? I can't keep you straight with where you're, you've been bouncing around. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to keep it. Okay. I think I know it. So next morning I was going to hunt a bedding area off that edge of that cornfield is at the back of the property, back and south of the property. There's a big swamp and then there's a little bit of high ground on the back side of it where there's a great bedding area in there. I was going to hunt a new stand I hung this year for the first time right there on the edge of this bedding area. Is that where you did some hinge cutting and stuff? Is it that area? Yep, I'd done a little hinge cutting okay. in the past down there. Um, and I hung a new stand there this summer. Kylie helped me hang it, actually. She was a helper that day. Um, so getting that tree stand and someone, speaking of this stand, I had someone send me an Instagram message saying, like, it's crazy how many times you've seen this buck. Um, your egress and ingress I'm really curious to hear like how you're getting in and out of these stands without spooking this deer or other deer enough, because I've hunted so many times. I, I, I think if I remember right, I think I've hunted 24 out of the last 25 days or something like that. I think 16 of those have been all day sits now and all, but 
three or four of those days have been hunting this small property for Holyfield. And of that property, it's it's 90 acres, but more than half of it is open field. So I'm actually only hunting like 40 acres of like huntable, timbered, or covered acres. Um, and I've hunted it, you know, like 20 days since October 24th. So I've hunted a ton. I mean, way more than yeah. I would ever yeah. typically do. Like usually, you know, we talk about a lot. I like to do this drone strike approach. Right. Um, but I hunted October 1st and then waited all the way to the 24th because I thought that is when he historically starts moving. And that's that pre-rut i gotta be hunting him well and what's interesting too is you don't have a bunch of different ways to access no this, this place it's a tough property yeah. to, to access because on the roadside is all open field so you have to somehow get across open field um to a degree so what i've started to do though is so first off i didn't hunt any mornings all through october basically i didn't start hunting mornings till november so that allowed me not to have to worry about that morning situation where you have to come in the morning and go across these fields and spook a bunch of deer. People probably have heard this, but my evening solution has been that I have convinced my wife by begging, pleading, and doing lots of dishes to drive my truck or an ATV out to this property and pick me up for my evening stand locations. So she spooks the deer off the fields, picks me up, drives me back home. And that, I think, has made a huge difference. Yeah. Like I never could have gotten away with what I've done without that um so that's my key my little secret to success on this property for my evenings for the mornings like i said i just didn't hunt any mornings for a month because i knew it would be risky and then once november arrived um for most of my uh morning stands that i've been hunting have been in these bedding areas that are on the back of the property like i said on my property it's mostly field in the front but i have a neighbor whose um property is not fields it's just timber that runs along the southern edge of the farm that i can hunt and i can hunt my neighbors too um it's a small property there but she's giving me permission there and also permission to to hunt it or to you know go through it so what i've been doing to get to these morning locations is instead of going across the wide open field i go into the neighbor's timber and i walk all the way through her property all the way to the back of it staying in that thick timber swampy stuff all the way to the back of my property and by that time now i'm in my cover and then i do a big j-hook all the way around the back of the property to get to it so i'm taking a very long roundabout mm -hmm. way and i'm doing this two to two and a half hours before daylight so my my from what i can see from a lot of these deer is that they they feed out into my fields then they cross the road and they feed on fields across the road so if i get in there early enough in the morning like two hours before daylight most of these deer are still on other farms. They're not back on my farm. So I can do this long roundabout way so I don't spook too many deer. And even if I do spook a deer or two, probably most of the deer still aren't in the area. So that's how I've been getting into these morning stands. So that's what I did this day. It took me a long time. Got to the stand. Got set up. Um, maybe about an hour after daylight, I hear, eh, maybe even a half hour after daylight, I hear a crack, like a loud branch cracking in this thick bedding cover in front of me. And this bedding area is thick, like really, really, really thick, impenetrably thick almost in areas. So what we had to do this summer when I hung the stand is I literally had to like, uh, I don't know how you describe it. Um, like there was no shooting lanes through it at all into this thick stuff. Like it was just like a wall. Yeah. So I had to go and just cut like a swath I, I cut like 50 branches and trees and How brush did, things. Did you cut it or did Kylie? <laughs> no, I, I did it. <laughs> She's uh, notoriously more handy than me, <laughs> I will admit. Um, but I am better at cutting tree limbs and branches and bushes and stuff. 
So I had to clear this like strip. So I cleared like a three foot wide, maybe a, maybe four foot wide, like hallway through this thick brushy stuff into the cover to this big trail that leads to there. There's this um, this trail that has got a bunch of rubs on it from the past, and there's scrapes along it in the past that kind of runs right through the middle of this little bedding area. Um, so I knew that you know if there's a buck coming through, he's probably going to be coming through this. Um, you know, little bits on the downwind section of it, sort of but in inside the cover. So I had that shooting lane and then and then um to my left and right though that was directly ahead of me. But to my left and the right it was more open cuz now we're on the edge the outside edge of it. So I hear this crack inside the thick stuff. And I'm like, man, that sounds like a deer. And I'm waiting and I'm like I'm not going to grab my bow yet. I'm waiting and then I hear bruh, bruh, and I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> I grab my bow. I get pumped, and I'm like, all right, there's a buck coming. But this property has so many deer. There's a lot of deer. There's a lot of bucks on there. But 99% of them are young bucks. So I'd had this happen many times in the past. Heard a lot of bucks grinding over the few days beforehand, the, the 10 days beforehand. Um, it had always been like a two-year-old or something like that. But I hear, grab the bow just in case, and then I see white. And then it was just like instantly, as soon as I saw the white and the frame materialized, it was like, oh, totally field no way like he's right here he's at the first time i've ever seen him on the southern part of the property like this well that's not that's a lie uh that's a mistake because <laughs> i'm sort of on the southern part where i had the cell phone incident actually about 80 90 maybe 100 yards away from where the cell phone incident was so a holy field materializes he's in the thick stuff though he's grunting making noise in there and i'm like he's but he's heading right my way i'm like holy crap He's heading right to my opening. I'm going to get a shot at Holyfield at 30 yards. And he's coming my way. Blah, blah. And then at 40, he stops. And he's he's just kind of looking around. And I'm like, oh, man, come on. Keep coming closer. And I'm, I'm for the first time this year, I'm holding my bow and I'm clipped onto the bow just waiting. He needs to come like 10 yards closer my way to get into this opening. I'm clipped on. I'm ready. I got the camera rolling, pointed at the thing. My heart's beating a million miles a minute. I'm like locked in. But instead of basically where he was at, he could have turned right or kind of angled to the right onto my trail and into my shooting lane, or he could angle to the left and kind of go the other direction. Not quite the other direction, but a little bit farther away. And, of course, he chose the path that angles to the left a little bit and stayed at like 40 yards. But because he stayed, instead of going into my lane, he was behind all this really thick stuff. So he went... Across in front of me at 40 yards. I couldn't shoot him at all. He got right to the edge of the bedding cover and stopped. And then the way my wind was rolling that day, if he went out of that bedding and into this opening, he would have went into my wind zone. So I was like, please don't go any further. So he stopped, and then another buck came running in. Like a, I don't know if it was a year and a half old or two and a half year old, came running, like sprinting past me. And he must have heard Holyfield grunting or something. So he comes running in. Holyfield stops and like stares at that buck, and that buck comes running by. And now Holyfield's right about to step out of the cover, but I wouldn't be able to shoot him still because of where he's at. So I grab my bleat, my can call. I'm like, all right, I got, maybe if I can get him to come back my yeah. way. So I try the can call once, try the can call twice. He finally hears it, turns his head, looks at me, and just stares and stares and stares. And that buck comes running back, comes back past him, um, runs past him, and Holyfield looks at him, and he starts following that buck back and just starts walking back that direction. And then this other buck that ran past, then as Holyfield's walking away now back the other way, he came sort of, that second buck starts blowing. Um, 
he wasn't in my wind. I don't know what he was doing, but he started like freaking out, making all sorts huh. of noise. And then Holyfield just kept going that direction and they disappeared. And I don't know what what happened, hmm. but I was kind of like bummed out. Like, well, that sucked. It was so close. If he'd been 10 yards closer, would have been a great shot. And then this boot, this buck spooks or something. The worst noise. Oh, it is the worst noise in the world. Um, so I don't know what happened. But I sat there, saw another like four or five more bucks come cruising through, um, including, um, well, let me try to think about all these days are mixing together. Yeah. I talked about this on, on the rut radio episode that came out earlier this week. I am not like with it. I even talked about this last episode with Dan. Like I've just, because of how much I've been in the tree and like getting up at three forty five every day, I've just found like, I don't, I can't talk straight. I'm like having conversations with my wife and she like, she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like nothing I'm saying is making sense. So my mind is just not at 100%. So forgive me. <laughs> um, it's like the, a uh, man's version of like pregnancy brain. Like <laughs> yeah. Rut brain. Rut brain. Rut yeah. brain yeah. 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 I definitely have rut brain. Um, so yeah, a bunch of other bucks come through, including a buck that I thought might've been Holyfield coming back, but it ended up being his mini me. Um, he's got a buck. There's a two year old that someday might look like him. Um, he's got these tall, he's an eight pointer with tall tines. So when you see him like real quick, you're like, Oh, that could be him. him. And then you realize it's not him, but, um, just enough to get you excited. Um, Fast forward through the day, 1 o'clock, I hear a crashing noise out of the bedding area again. I pull out the binos. I see a little doe squirt out of there at 1 in the afternoon. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, please pull him out of there. Pull him out there. And every time I see a doe, like, by herself, I always imagine, okay, Holyfield's going to be behind her. But it's never him. But this doe squirts out of there. I'm like, Holyfield's going to be behind her. And then there he was. <laughs> and he comes blasting out there after. I'm like, oh, shit. Grab my bow, spin around, turn the camera. She's coming, like, my direction. She's kind of trotting away with her little tail flicking and flapping. And they come just busting through, though, at, like, 60, 65 yards. And then, like, at, at that point, like, 60, 65 yards, she went from, like, that little trot to then, like, then she took off and she barrels off and then... He barrels off behind her, and they go running off into the timber to my north, and then they disappeared. What time was that? Like 1 o'clock? 1 said? o'clock in the afternoon. Man, I can't believe how much action you've been seeing midday. My middays? Like, it's been crazy. Like, every mm-hmm. day, like, like in our group, she's like, oh, I have nothing this morning. But, man, this afternoon was crazy. Like, mm-hmm. midday was nuts. Yeah, this has been um, – I've had better action in the middle of the day during this yeah. rut than I've had in the mornings. Um, yeah, that day I saw, like, six bucks during the middle of the day. I mean, the the cell phone day, I had Holyfield at 11 o'clock in the afternoon and had like three or four other bucks cruising midday that day. Um, the next day I had five bucks come at midday. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a true thing. Bucks, there really is this increased midday movement. Um, so, uh, you know, let me take a – let me make sure our fire's not going to go dead here. A little uh, – I'm going to throw some logs in here because I don't want to get cold. So, what am I talking about here? We're talking about Just finished uh, up midday action. Yeah. So midday, Holyfield busts out of there and um, disappears. A couple hours later, I decided to move to a evening stand location because he'd moved. I saw him run off way off north in the timber, and if he was going to come back out, he'd be coming up towards a food source with that doe, maybe or a doe. So I moved to a stand that I had 
hung many years ago, but hadn't hunted in the last couple of years ago, that was right by where Holyfield had come out the night before. Hunt that stand. Long story short, don't see him. See a bunch of does, some young bucks. Don't see Holyfield that night. Next day, I, I want to hunt that same bedding area again, but I want to be on the downwind side of it. But because we've had a lot of these funky east winds that we don't get most years, I don't have a stand on the east side of, or the sorry, on the west side of that bedding area. So I got another portable set and I snuck in like three hours before daylight and hung a new stand in the dark downwind of this bedding area. Hunted it. That was this is one of those days that the morning was lousy, didn't see anything, but in the middle of the day I saw five or six different bucks, but all um, one or two-year-olds. And then I'm like, all right, I'm just going to stay hunting this stand for the evening because I was only like, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards from the very tiny, smallest finger of corn that heads back. So I'm still close to food, tight to this bedding area. Maybe Holyfield will come and kind of check this section between the bedding and the corn and then transition out to the corn. So I'm hunting there. He hadn't been seeing anything. It was raining all that day, and I sat all day through it. And about an hour before daylight, I'd been watching some does about 200 yards down the cornfield that had been come out to feed. And about an hour before daylight, I see a big body out there pulled the binos. There's Holyfield. And Holyfield goes walking across the field with these does and then goes walking right in front of the tree stand that I was hunting the night before. He's messing with um, you. Yeah. <laughs> so he walked in front of that tree stand twice out of the last three nights. Um, so that was frustrating to see him go right there where I'd been the night before. Uh, next morning, hunt another tree stand near that bedding area. But again, it was a, a third stand there. So all these three times I've hunted first sit in that stand, but all different sides of this bedding area that now I'd seen him around. Um, didn't see him that morning, so decided, well, I'm going to go to that stand where he's been two out of the last three nights. So I transitioned to that stand, um, and that night I see him, um, what did I see? This was the, these all blurred together. Um, I guess this would have been the last night of bow season. This would have been November 14th, and I'm sitting in that stand and maybe an hour before daylight, I see movement in the CRP stuff behind me. Glimpse back there. There he is. He's about 90, 80, 90 yards away in the CRP, right in the edge of my property and the neighbors. You mean an hour before dark? Yeah, what did I say? Hour before daylight. Yeah, dark. Okay. All right. um, he goes, but he's kind of angling away. And he's kind of bouncing. He was definitely like on a doe's trail because he was like bounce, bounce, running with his nose down, bounce, bounce, then disappears in the timber. Um, so now I'm paying attention over here. I'm like, oh, man, you know, at least I know he's in the general area. There's still lots of time left, and hopefully these does are going to filter out past me, and then he'll come. Yeah. Um, half hour later, I've been watching. Half hour later, I see a body pop out into the corn, but he's like uh, 80, 90 yards down the field from me now, the other direction. Pull up my binoculars. I didn't even... Even before pulling out my binoculars, I knew it was him, just from like his body, because I've seen that so many times. I'm like, oh, there he is. Pull out the binoculars. Sure as there he was. Yeah. At like 90 yards, trotting across the cornfield. Went straight across the open cornfield, seeing if there was any does out there. There weren't any does. Went all the way across, entered in the swamp, and disappeared. And then that was, that was basically the end of the night. Last night of bow season. And then I'm thinking, man... 
I was going to head up to go to our deer camp tomorrow for opening day. Do you have a question? Yeah, can I stop here real quick? Yeah. But and you, usually what you should say Hold on, hold on. I got, I, got, I got a question for you. <laughs> I'm not doing a very good job of being down no. here. I gotta, he's I gotta gonna listen to this. And he's gonna be really he's gonna disappointed. Be disappointed. <laughs> How? So in in your kind of rutcation marathon mm-hmm. on your Michigan property, have you tallied up how many times you've seen him since X date when he started doing these? No, I need to. Um, but I can, I can, I can. If you can help me here, I saw him the night of October thirty first. I saw him the morning of November fourth. I saw him the afternoon of November 4th. Um, I saw him the next day, November 5th, in the morning and the evening. Then the... Then... um, See, this is where it starts getting weird. Then it was like the 7th or 8th is when I had the cell phone incident. But, but I mean, you've seen him maybe 75% of the days that you've been out. Oh, if we're talking days, I mean, I wouldn't go that far because I started hunting the 24th. So between the 24th right. and the 15th, um, but, but I mean, you're consistently. I mean, I've seen him a lot since yeah. since Halloween. So I, f- I saw him the first time on Halloween, and then the last time I saw him was. Um, I just can't believe how visible he's been as a f- probably a five. I mean, yeah, I think he's a five I, and I, a I, half. Really, I do think he's a five and a half year old, and yeah, I mean, he's incredibly visible, and he's. I think it's because he stays tight. Well, Knock on wood, you know. I yeah. mean, he's the stupidest smart deer I've ever met in my life because he's so killable, but he's he stays unkillable. just out of yeah range or um, just late enough. Or mm-hmm. there's always something. There's just a little bit that he is a step ahead of you. It's either it's either he is the the most unkillable killable buck ever, or he's just being hunted by the worst deer hunter <laughs> ever. <laughs> like I'm the one guy that can't kill this deer. Anyone else would be like, oh, this is easy. <laughs> Let me come out there one day. Mm-hmm. I've I've managed to make it a significant challenge, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Right, but I sorry decided. To interrupt you. No, you're good. Um, I decided um, to change my plans and to go out for opening day gun season because if I had had a gun, any one of these encounters, I would have killed him. And I've been just I've been um, debating inside of myself, um, debating internally. Do I want to only try to kill him with a gun or with a with a bow or would I shoot him with a gun? And um, I went back and forth on it for a while, and then I kind of realized, you know, I, I'm I'm not a I'm not a purist. I have nothing against hunting with a gun. I I prefer bow hunting. I love bow hunting. You know, just be, bow hunting is awesome. I love being close to deer and all that. But I've shot deer with a gun. I have nothing against it. I like it. And with this deer now, I mean, I have hunted. I have never hunted a deer so hard. I've never worked so hard for a deer. I've never, I know without a doubt that I have given it, like, everything I have. I mean, um, I feel very much at peace with myself, at least, in that, like, I have done everything I can. I've, I've, I've struggled. Like, I've wanted to sleep in. I've wanted not to walk the long way. I've wanted to not hang a newsstand. And every time that's happened, I've told myself, nope, you got to do it. And so, like, if any tiny, small solace I can take out of this, I can at least say that I know I did it the very best I could. So, because of that, at this point, I want to finish the job. I want to kill this deer, and whether I kill him with a bow or a muzzleloader or a shotgun will not change that for Who me cares? personally yeah. to be satisfied. Yeah. 
I think part of why I was worried about doing that, using a firearm, is because I know that people would give me crap about it. Um, and at first I was like, that's going to be a pain in the butt to deal with. But you know what? With all due respect to everybody out there, I don't care. <laughs> like, the, I have you got to hunt your own hunt. You need yeah. to do what makes you happy. You need to do what um, satisfies you and helps you achieve your own personal goals. And for me, with this deer, I will be just as happy and satisfied and proud. And I will be probably, like, breaking down, crying in happiness if I kill this buck with a bow or with a muzzleloader or whatever. Um, and that will be just fine for me. Maybe that's not what you would do, and that's totally fine. But this is my hunt, and I'm going to hunt him the way I want to hunt him. So I've decided that I will use a firearm if I can. Um, well, and the goal is to kill him. Yeah, the goal is to you kill know, him. And it shouldn't matter what you use, as long as legal, ethical, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. The goal is to, to kill that deer. Yeah. And it, it, you know, um, a few years ago, remember the buck six-shooter that I was hunting? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I've been hunting him with a bow for a couple of years. The first year I was hunting him, second year he disappeared. Third year I hunted all season form with a bow, couldn't kill him. And then mid-December, I've been hunting all the way through, hunting my tail off, grinding it out. During muzzleloader season, I kill him at 40 yards with my muzzleloader. And um, I had someone email me who like was blasting me about it. Like, I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe, um, you know, I don't know. He, and he, he emailed me like repeatedly, like he emailed me and I ignored it. And then like a week or two later, he emailed again, like how it had been rubbing him the wrong way. And he was thinking about it more. Um, and I've got nothing against the guy. Like I appreciate the guy following wired to hunt. I appreciated him being a fan, but it really pissed me off. Like, I'm like, who are you to tell me like what I should or right. shouldn't be doing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it bothered me. <clears throat> so this time around, you know, I just, I'm not going to worry about other yeah. people think it is my experience. It is my hunt. Um, and I, I appreciate people following along with it. I'm trying to share the true experience of my hunt, what it is for me and what I'm learning from it. And, um, you know, you can feel free to make different choices in your hunts on, in your own hunts. This is what I'm doing in mine. So Decided to go out there for gun season. Maybe I could get lucky on day one. Um, it ended up being a miserable day. <laughs> I sat all day again, and starting like 9 o'clock, it started raining. And it was like, I don't know, high 30s or something like that, and then raining. But it was a blowing rain. Yeah, it was so a brutal day yesterday. Even with, even with my tree umbrella and my rain gear and everything, um, I forgot. I, well, I didn't forget. I didn't wear my rain pants. I just wore my rain jacket. Um, because I wanted access to all my pockets and stuff on my bibs. And I thought, well, with my tree umbrella and a rain jacket on, unzipped, I'll be able to stay dry enough. But I didn't think about the blowing wind. And so all the rain blew in underneath the umbrella. And so just like everything got wet. My hands were wet. My hand warmer pocket was wet. So it was, just, it was like the most miserable day of my season so far. It was just long, cold, wet, didn't see many deer, didn't see Holyfield. And um and that's it. So now I'm just uh crossing my fingers and toes that he can survive um a handful more days and and I might make a couple targeted hunts during gun season. I'm not sure if I will or won't. Depends on the conditions and the situation. Um I might go in there after him again. Um or I might wait until after gun season and then uh, get back after him hard in the late season um with the bow or muzzleloader depending on the season. Um he just, you know, that's all dependent on whether or not he is alive. So 
there's nothing I can do about it now. I just got to hope that he. Well, you know, if he stays alive, his track record is good. That'll stick around there. Yeah, so. yeah, it's really good. Like my, the last two years by far, he's the most active all year during December on yep. my property because those late season food plots. Um, so I don't know if it's gonna happen. Um, I can tell you that I have stressed more about it than anything. Um, that last night of bow season, I just sat in the tree. And just like, I don't know if you ever if you ever had this feeling, but like, you just sit there and like you start like looking back on the season and thinking through everything and could I have done anything differently and you know all this work gone for nothing or blah 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 blah. Um, yeah, the last four years I haven't killed a buck. <laughs> okay, so yeah, <laughs> um, but you know I, by the end of the night, you know, and I I have to do this a lot personally, um, and I, I've talked about this before. I have a tendency to to get really personally invested in like this kind of stuff in my hunts. And I, I get, you know, my wife always kids like every year. I'm like, I'm not going to get stressed out this season. I'm just going to have fun, but it, it never fails. I'm pretty sure you're saying that in September. Yeah, for sure. I'm just going to have a good time. I'm, I'm not going to get worked up about stuff, but every year I do like, I, I'm, I'm very goal oriented. I'm very, um, I'm very focused. So, um, I tend to, 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 to go all in and then um, I let it eat away at me if things aren't going well. And I think every year I get better at it and I, I deal with it a little bit better. Um, but this year, you know, that happened to a degree, but I've had to have a couple like uh, little mini, um, uh, what's the word, uh, interventions, <laughs> like a, a self-intervention. So like after the cell phone incident, I had a self-intervention. I said, you know what? you need to just get step away because you're about to jump off the tree stand. <laughs> um, so step away, get back to the fun of it. I did that. It was a great decision. Came back, had a bunch of really close calls and encounters with Holyfield. It was great. It didn't work out. Um, and then after that last day of bow season, you know, I was like, you know, what? all right, it hasn't worked out. You've given it your all though. So, you know, like I said earlier, um, the odds are probably that he will get killed over the next couple of weeks. Cause there's a lot of hunters out there. Um, he's been very daylight active. Um, he's probably going to get killed and that will be like heartbreaking for me. Like it's going to be a very big bummer if I get a neighbor sends me a picture or something I find out. Um, but that's in the end, that's not what it's, that's not what it's all about. I mean, I have to take, um, take, uh, like it's been such a cool three years getting to watch this deer and hunt this deer and, and live out this experience and, um, it has like tested me and pushed me farther than anything before. And, um, I've learned a lot. I mean, and, and never, I mean, gosh, I mean, if you take all the encounters I've had this past couple of weeks, it's maybe like a dozen, maybe, um, last year I saw him 27 times in my own eyes this year. Maybe it's like 12 so far this year, the year before is like five. Um, so what is that? Like 27 plus let's say 13. That's, um, 40 40 plus another like five like i've, I've seen this deer 45 times maybe yeah, give crazy. or take um it's nuts and i, I will probably because i don't own property i don't have anything like that i don't know if i will ever have an opportunity to have like this kind of thing with a deer again right well and you said it a couple minutes ago you you've done everything that you can do to try to kill this deer and i think you even if he does get killed you can look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? I gave it one heck of a shot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think there's really anything that you could second guess that you did that 
man, if I would have done this, but you know, I, you've been out there every day when the conditions have been poor, when it's been a, a struggle. So, I mean, I think you can look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, I, I gave it my best shot. And if yeah. It works out. Awesome. If it doesn't, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Yeah. So that's uh that's hunting, right? Yep. So yep. live and learn. And, um, I certainly haven't maybe made all the right decisions or done all the right things, but, um, I never, I always did everything to the best of my ability and thought process at the time. You know, I always had a thought process. I always had a plan. I always was, um, you know, being mindful and thoughtful about how I was approaching things and, and trying to take every little thing into account, everything I've learned over the years trying to be smart about exit and access, trying to be smart about wind, trying to be smart about what this deer is doing, how he's doing it. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of been like, uh, like your master, uh, what's called? Um, I don't know. Like you've got to write your thesis at the end of your like PhD program or whatever. Like this has been like the culmination of the last like decade of my growth as a hunter has been this challenge. And I've had to take everything I've learned to try to put it all together um, and I, I have not passed the test yet, um, but I've swung yeah, the very best I could. Maybe it's a swing and the miss, or maybe I will connect and hit my home run, but um, I know that I, I did what I could, so yeah. that's that's it. Well, I'm pulling for Find you. Out. I've told you that before. I'm pulling for you. I appreciate it, man. Hope it works out for you. I do appreciate it. And I got to I gotta say thank you to everyone out there listening, too. Again, just, uh, man, like I've been posting, like, daily instagram stories like updates throughout every day's hunt and i'm getting like i don't know dozens if not hundreds of messages like over the over the week or two um just people wishing me luck or sharing their thoughts or different things and then all the emails and facebook messages and all that stuff just just tons and tons of support i appreciate everyone following along and and i appreciate all of you that are so sick and tired of hearing me talk about this deer but that you stuck with me and you still listened um, I promise, probably one way or another, within the next month, either someone else is going to kill him or I will, and you will never have to hear about Holyfield again. So, that's that. Um, we won't talk about Holyfield again until next, next week. week. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to wrap it up real quick with talking about where we're at. Um, we're at Deer Camp. So, that's where I took off after opening day of gun season. That was yesterday. Today's the second day of gun season. We're up here at our cabin um and this place is where it all started for me i've been coming up here since i was like two um but josh you are newer you started coming up here like four years ago or five years ago or something um so as an outside perspective or newer perspective how would you describe this place like why is it cool for you or or do you is this place cool oh it's super cool like it's super it's like what like we do up here yeah, it's like when when you hear about people talking about deer camp or those stupid songs like the, the second week at deer camp. You know, this is like this is like what you think about. It's like a cabin with no electricity, totally off the grid, out in the middle of the woods, like northern Michigan, like swamp, cedars, pine tree. I mean, it's just like the whole package, mm-hmm. and it's just like everything that you would think a deer camp is. This is it, and it's been awesome. It's it's been a great time coming up here. I think it's five years now. Yeah. It's been five years that I've wow. been coming up here now. Um and thank you for having me. It's it's been it's been so much fun. Hanging out with you, hanging out with your dad and your uncle and 
just uh it's been a lot of fun yeah it's uh it's one of my absolute favorite places in the world and um lots and lots and lots of good memories there's i mean between between the wall here with all these racks i mean i can point to a dozen of these and tell you stories like there's the that set of antlers just above your head josh the top left rack yep is the first deer I can remember being killed up here when I was coming up here. I was probably six or seven, and I remember this buck. It was an eight-pointer that my uncle shot, and what I remember, I'm so young that I don't remember much about it. All I remember is that this one moment, the guys, all the all the men, had the deer hung up in the buck pole, and they'd skinned it out. And usually we don't skin them out here. Usually it's just hung on the buck pole, and then whoever, you know, they take it home and they do whatever with it. But for some reason, they decided to skin it out. And I guess maybe they butchered the deer. I don't remember that. All I remember is that the hide was laying down on the in the yard. The hide was laying down with, uh, with uh, the hair down towards the grass and then the inside of the hide pointing up. And what I remember is that I, must, I was drinking an orange high seed juice box. And I was standing over it looking at it. Like I said, I'm six or seven or something like that. And I remember I spilled a squirted oh, no. orange high C all over the inside of the hide. And I just remember being like petrified that I was going to get in trouble. And I don't, nobody must have been there. So I just remember squirting orange high C all over it and like panicking. I don't remember what I did though. I don't remember like how I tried to resolve the situation. Oh, all I remember was spilling orange high C. Um, so that was that memory. And then my uncle, many years later, gave me that hide. That's now the... The, oh, uh, that's that one. You're... That's the one that's hanging on the wall in my house. I don't know that. Yep. Um, that big seven pointer there is probably my most memorable night ever. Um, I just remember the snowy night, and my grandpa shot that buck, and I was again maybe like nine or ten or something like that. And I remember that was the first year that I remember they brought me along for a track job. It's so, like me and my dad had been hunting, and we came back into the house or back into the cabin. And we'd heard GP, Grandpa, had we'd heard the gunshot come from where he hunts. So I was so excited. Like Whenever you heard a gunshot, I'd always look at my dad and be like, Dad, was that one of our guys? Was that one of our guys? Like, oh, no, Mark, that was too far away. It was too far away. Then you hear another gunshot. I'm like, Dad, was that one? Was that one? He's like, oh, no. When you hear one, that's when you hear it, you'll know it. You'll know, you'll know yeah. it's close enough. And then maybe an hour later, kaboom, you jump out of your chair. I'm like, that was one, wasn't he? He's like, yeah, that was one of our guys for sure. <laughs> And I remember running back to the swamp to get back to the cabin. We get in here, and GP comes in. And he's like, oh, I got one, Mark. And uh, we had, like, this is, you know, this is, like, 1997 or something. Um, so we had, like, big kerosene, like, Coleman lanterns or whatever. Um, like, not even, like, flashlights. We had the, the lanterns like that. And it was snowing. I don't remember exactly how much snow. But it was fully coated snow. And we're walking across the fields, and you get to this creek, and you get to the edge of the creek, and, and my grandpa dragged him up to the edge of the creek on the other side, though. And I just remember when we got there, and then he held up the lantern high enough that then the light shone across the creek, and you could just see this big rack across the way. And that was, was like, whoa, that is a big buck. Big buck. Um, and then um, our friend Terry had shot a nice eight-pointer that morning. So we had this big seven pointer and big eight. I mean, these are big, big northern Michigan bucks. Um, at least three and a half year old, maybe four and a half year old bucks. Um, you know, f- uh, impressive racks for this area. And I just remember those two deer sitting on the on the buck pole, and I just stood out next to the deer hanging there for like hours. During the middle of the day, I would just stand out there and walk circles around it and look at it and touch it. And 
yeah, just a lot of cool memories up here. It's an awesome place. Um, we haven't seen tons of deer the last like 10, 15 years. The deer population has plummeted, but uh, I think it's getting better these last few years. Things are improving. We've been seeing some more deer. We're getting yep. some bucks on trail camera. We just pulled some cards here today, and there's at least one mature buck, um, which is cool. There's at least one nice one here on camera that he was here in daylight on the 11th and the 10th, I think. Yep, 10th and 11th. Um, so that was only five, six days ago. So there's a chance we might see him. Um, Hopefully. I don't know. We'll give it a shot. Yep. We got a couple days, and... Um, I'm just excited to be out there and to yeah. be here. It's yep. the hunting. It's it's nice now that we've got you know the chance of seeing a shooter buck. That's cool, and it's nice to see some deer. And we've been doing some work the last few years to try to make it better, doing some food plots and trying to figure things out a little bit better. But uh, it's more so just the camaraderie and being up here with yep. friends and family and eating lots of junk food. Oh yeah, yeah. Oreos and milk and milk and beer. I th- I think the best part about up here though is like. You can sleep in like a touch longer. Yep, yep. But then like the coffee. Like your dad's <laughs> always got that coffee going in the morning. Yep. And oh man, that's the best part. Yeah. I think my big old like big mugs. Big mugs. Yep. And the fire's been restoked by you know once we, once we get up because dad gets up first. Yep. He's up real early. So by the time we're up and out of our sleeping bag, and that's probably warm. about the fifth or sixth time he's been up. Yeah. <laughs> we won't talk about why. <laughs> um. But, uh, but yeah, I think one of my favorite moments is every day when you come in from the hunt, it's cold out and then you step in here and it's that just like, like a, like a blanket of warmth gets wrapped around you in here and that like the golden glow of the, of the propane lights. Like there's like Josh said, there's no electricity. So we just have these propane, um, lantern deal lights. I don't know what to call them. Um, and then the wood burning stove and usually some country music playing on the radio and. And then you just have some good food and play cards and, you know, it's just good stuff. So I think on that note, we will wrap it up. I don't know, Josh, any final, final things you want to share? Yeah, I'll take advantage real quick. I I would just say, you know, if, if you know anybody out there that's expressed any interest in hunting or anything like that, take them along, get them out there in the woods. That's, that's how I got into it. I mean, Mark, you took me when, you know, we went a couple times in high school and then I really got into it um, after college. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm sitting here today doing what I'm doing now. A lot of it because you showed an in, or I showed an interest and you took me out and got me involved in it. So I would just say, you know, be a mentor to somebody. Take a take a new hunter out in the woods and, and um, you know, who knows where it will lead them. But um, I, I would encourage everybody to do that. Um, and if you're interested in, in starting a branch or getting involved, um, in Indiana, Michigan or Ohio, or even if you're not in that area, get it, get, in, get a hold of me and I can get you in touch with the right people. And, um, and I'd love to talk to you. And if you do get in touch with him, please do not refer to him as Mr. Hilliard. Please don't <laughs> refer to him as Josh or Josh Hilliard or JHQDMA, <laughs> which is his Instagram handle. No, none of those things are the appropriate title to yeah, refer to him as. I don't know where this is going. <laughs> you can just say, what's going on, Furter? Furter. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, uh, we're going to we're gonna shut this one down, and um, hopefully we'll have some more good stories for next time.
And that is going to do it for us today. I'm going to wrap it up without any of my occasional end of the podcast rambling. So with that said, let's just give a big thank you to our partners at Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Matthews Archery, Maven Optics, the Whitetail Institute of North America, Trophy Ridge, and Huntera Maps. And finally, big thanks to all of you who have been listening today. I appreciate it. If you're going out in the woods soon to do some hunting, I wish you all the luck in the world. Be safe out there, have a great time, and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.